Hey, it's Jose Galison of No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. You can also find me on all the major podcatchers and on Odyssey. My guest today is Clint Russell of Liberty Lockdown. Uh, as always, well, not as always, but I just want to give you guys a reminder. I keep, I've been doing this for a few of these episodes now, but I'll keep giving you little reminders so you guys know what's up. That The way that I'm doing now, my current template is I do live streams, and I only have them up for the night. Uh, that way I can get like audience involvement and then I'll bring them down and then later I'll release as a numbered episode. So if you're here, when I do a live stream, you can interact, super chat, whatever. Uh, if not, if you're a patron, you'll have access to these, you know, whenever I also give my patrons out a little, uh, little cheat code to let me know. Uh, so I can give them preference over super chats and everything. Uh, today, what I want to be covering with Clint is the, what I called the coming bus and the subsequent boom. Although the boom might be a little bit of a misnomer for anyone who understands the the, the boom bus cycle, because the uh, boom he's implying would be a natural boom, uh, not really like a boom in the uh, in the artificial sense where the Fed's fucking with shit. So, but we'll get we'll get into that. It's gonna be, it was a thread he put out recently, and we'll 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 definitely be doing that a lot. It's pretty much the whole episode is we'll be breaking that down. Um, as always, I like money. Patreon.com. So it's no way Jose twenty twenty. Go check out the homie Top Lobster uh, and all his shit at toplobster.com. I'm wearing a Top Lobster shirt right now. Uh, he is the absolute dude. Uh, and with that, I'm going to go ahead and bring on Clint. What's up, man? What's up, brother? <laughs> what it do? <laughs> You're chilling up there in Miami right now, huh? Yep. Just got here, I don't know, 10 days ago. It's uh, It suits me decently, but it's it's a very aggressive lifestyle. I don't know if uh, if this is the enclave to survive the apocalypse that we're about to discuss. Oh, Miami's fun, but it's like you can only do it in short bits. I've, uh, I mean, a lot of people know I run a cat business, and I've had to. It's a few times I've had to go to the Miami airport to pick up a kitty cat. And I'll usually try to like set it up so I'll fucking like stay the night. It's always a blast. Miami's fun for like is amazing for like a day or two. It's such a interesting part of the world. Like I, I like multiple times I've been there. I've had people just randomly start speaking Spanish to me, just assuming I speak Spanish, and I'm like, I'm well, the whitest looking dude there is. But your name like, is. Your name is Jose Galison, so they're going to think you speak Spanish, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm clearly, obviously, very white. But even then, just like, if you're in the geographical location of Miami, they just assume you speak Spanish. Right. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me. Well, where, yeah, I'm at, we... where I'm at, everyone speaks Russian, so. Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, nice. Like... Yeah. <laughs> okay, what were you saying? Is it like the, the rich part of town? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like the very, very affluent area, so there's like nothing but russians here it's wild nice uh you're gonna be going to tom woods 2000 here soon right and then we'll uh, we'll probably meet up there so yes sir gonna get you yeah, pregnant yeah can't wait yeah <laughs> yeah i should be there i may or may not so if you guys don't see me there i gotta see what what the what the future brings but i, I should be there uh go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience real quick and then uh maybe even sewn in a little bit like I mean, not that you're some like financial expert, but where you kind of are coming from, because you, you do have a little bit of a background in, the, in finance. So this yeah, is uh, for sure. more your alley for sure. So, uh, I am Clint Russell, host of Liberty Lockdown podcast, and I was a private money mortgage broker for about 15 years, uh, eight of which I did as an entrepreneur with my own company. And I managed hundreds of millions of dollars. So I, I definitely have you know a, a good amount of expertise in the in that particular niche arena but i also pair that with a fairly in-depth reading of austrian economics and things like that 
Cool. I did want to just go ahead and address, just because I thought it was funny. We talked about it in the pre a little bit. Uh, the, one of the, the the first comment that I have on here so far, um, and then I re- I responded to it earlier. Someone says maybe you can ask this guy why he blocks so many people. I replied. I said I do the same thing. Good way to dispense of trolls. Just as a quick little aside. So uh, I actually I kind of had been a little bit. I mean, I guess I wouldn't say I was as block heavy. If anything, I actually probably got it a lot from you because you were always advising us <laughs> and the homies to do that. But I kind of already a little bit, yeah. but not. But definitely, you talked me off the edge, and I just block like crazy. Like if I, I know, if I, if I even get a little bit of a hit, a whiff that you're going to be a bitch, I just block you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's weird because I simultaneously feel better and then also bad about it. Um, I don't actually like blocking people, despite people's beliefs about me. I really don't enjoy it. I would rather not have to do that. But when people come at me with, um, you know, just really negative things to say about me when I haven't done really anything wrong to them, I'm like, well, I don't need you in my my little fishbowl here. And I, I like my comments section to be productive. I like people to be asking questions and having conversations, kind of the Michael Malice mentality of like, I don't need to I don't need to deal with a bunch of negative energy 24/7. So like if you if you come at me with that or if someone says something really egregious towards me or about me and I see you liking it, I'll also block you for that. Like mm. that's how I roll, man. So sorry. Yeah, no, I will go <laughs> dig up tweets of you sh- talking shit about me and see who I like them and block them all. I don't care. Yeah. Like cuz yeah, it's the same idea. And it's just intelligent really if you think about it, especially when you're <laughs> growing an account cuz like I've been, I've lo- I've gotten a reported a few times, especially with the way Twitter works. Is like a good way to get your account taken down is reporting. Like they don't yes. really seem to police their their website that much. Really, they reply, they rely a lot on reports. So yep. if you have haters that you're like letting stay there, you're just essentially risking your account getting hit. So like, I, exactly. it really is just like smart. I I know you say you don't like to. I kind of like to. I don't care. I mean, I'm just like, well, I don't, I, I, the that's re- the kind of person I am. But the reason, <laughs> the reason I don't like it is because people now think that I'm like really thin skinned. I don't actually mind it. However, and I know this is going to sound like I'm being condescending or pretentious to other people, but like when I have 22,000 and a half followers, like it gets really intense, you know? Yeah. So if I have negative energy coming in, like, it's gonna it's gonna be a problem. So yeah, I've blocked like a thousand people, and my my replies are a much more wholesome, productive place. And it's like you know, if people would just stop being shitty to me, I'll stop blocking. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, actually, I do know about you. You're you're very much this way. But I will like if like I how I usually interact with Twitter. I'll, I will drop a fucking I will drop some thought, and then people will react. And the people who are the least bit shitty, I will immediately block. But if you can disagree with me. Just don't be shitty. Yeah. If you're shitty, I will. I, I'm going to block you. If you disagree with me, be like, well, I don't bl- agree with this for X, Y, and Z. I won't block you. And honestly, I probably won't engage with you unless I'm like really have a lot of time. Cause I don't think, see any productive aspect of like Twitter debates. I know like ACE does shit like that. I don't have the time for that shit. So like, <laughs> I, I mean, I'll see it and I'll probably take it into my mind and kind of like think about it, but I'm not going to interact with it. Usually maybe I will here and there depending yeah. on what it is. But for the most part, that's how I interact with Twitter. I just I just shit out thoughts and then people react and I use it as a, as a way for me to be like, do I want to keep this person around? No. And like if someone has a really interesting take, I'll like or retweet. But that's about it. Um, well, that, see, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, people know that I, I will engage on Twitter and I mm-hmm. will have debates with people. So like I, even more so, I had on Ace Andrew two people that opposed me to discuss, um, you know, whether or not libertarianism can can address fascism. So like. 
I took on the the quote unquote you know best uh, Twitter debater, and I did it with another guy too. So it's like I am I am a hundred percent willing to defend my beliefs. Just don't come at me like a cunt. That's like that's yeah. all I ask. <laughs> yeah, it's not much. I mean, I have no I mean like shit. I think just the other day there was some take. I don't even. I don't know the specific. Someone was trying to instigate shit with us, and I was just like, "Well, I mean, we'll talk about it if we want to, I mean, but we're not going to argue." Like, this, this is gay. <laughs> <laughs> like, like people forget that this is like I don't know. This is Twitter world. Like, I mean, especially with people who know each other. Like, we know each other. I mean, don't know each other super well, but we're not going to interact with that. But yeah, this is. I'm going to go ahead and get into it because this is a long thread, and we need we need to get going on it. So. Yes um uh, i'm literally just gonna read it and we'll break it down as as it goes i'll let a lot of people know i feel like i'm pretty decent with economics i'm like more i know the basics well but so i will some stuff that's a little bit more inside baseball i probably will take a second to explain for people who need to know because i don't know what skill level everyone is going to be on here but i'm gonna do my best to not slow it down too much because you do throw a lot a lot of uh facts and numbers around so but yeah, uh, this will probably be a long one for you guys to buckle up. But I do think it's worth it. Uh, I mean, I, I do think this will probably be ones I get a little bit less views on because we're going nerdy economics. But I don't care. I think it's worth worth going into, and I'm I'm, I'm interested to see the uh, the the take backs from this. Um, well, if, if people view this as as boring and nerdy economics, they are making a mistake. So let me mm-hmm. start by prefacing this entire episode with: this is tremendously important information, and and this thread had over 50,000 impressions. So like there was a lot of people that also took it seriously. So um, I I hope people will give serious consideration to this because whether or not you understand economics is kind of irrelevant. Listen to what I have to say and decide what you should do with your lifestyle to try and weather what I'm describing potentially coming. Yeah. And once you understand economics, you'll realize economics are literally everything. Yes. And I don't mean that in like an ironic sense. I mean that in a literal fucking sense. (laughs) Economics are everything. Like you can break everything down to an economic sense. Shit. A lot of people know I'm an egoist. Is so where that means I like essentially I even think like morality can be broken down to a fucking Austrian economic sense because that's kind of how I look at it. It's competing moralities. I know a lot of Austrian economics wouldn't agree with that, but that's kind of how I perceive it. You can literally basically apply Austrian economics to damn near everything or economics in general. So. It's yeah. changed my life for the better. Yeah. So if you're if you're not willing to you know listen to what we have to say here, you're making a mistake. Uh, yeah. Would you like me to read it, or are you gonna? Oh, I was gonna read it, and then uh, okay. I mean, otherwise, what the fuck am I even doing here? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Uh, black post, white or black black pill post. God, the emojis still fuck with me. I'm like 30, but I feel old as shit because I just got into Twitter like last year. But uh, black pill post, white pill ending. Um, as bad as things are now, you have not experienced a fraction of the pain to come. Anyone at all with a touch uh, at all in touch with reality understands that you cannot limit movement and sideline 10% plus of the labor force globally without paying a huge economic price. Spoiler alert, the feds know this and have thrown about 10 trillion at the hole they created in the US needlessly. Um, I think a lot of people obviously get that what you're getting at here. We're talking about we'll just to go ahead and start out, we're talking about, you know, the lockdowns and shit. This is clearly if you cannot see the impact this has had on labor, I don't know what the fucking tell you, which I mean yeah. that is kind of I say that, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of people fucking don't. Yeah, uh, they, they probably don't. But yeah, I mean, if you just look at, I think that the best evidence of what we're talking about is if you look at uh, prices of goods across the across the country. I mean, every, basically everything is up. Uh, much of it is up 10, 20, some of it up 50, 100 um, percent. So, yeah, this is this is really hitting your pocketbook. Yeah, uh, I did want to touch on the 10 trillion. Uh, I know I think I know what you're getting at. Um 
But uh, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and uh, save the ten trillion because they they've been throwing money around in all different places. So I mean, I don't know if you you meant something specific or just all together. Uh, Meredith, I've worn a bunch of different hats, just so you know, in the live chat. So <laughs> um, I I was including uh, the bailout bills that started right mm-hmm. right after the lockdowns when they did uh, the PPP loans and things like that. I think that was three or four trillion, yeah. um, and then they did another one in December that was another three trillion, and then I was including in that the uh the biden plan which looks like it's set to pass here soon so whether or not that happens that's how i got to the 10 trillion figure it may be it may end up being less if it gets pared down but um that's that's where i came up with it yeah i do want to say i don't know if this is one of those included i've always found it really interesting ron paul i think did an article about this right really like prior to all this shit before the lockdown and stuff, like I wish I could remember. I'm terrible at dates and years and shit. But literally, it was like months before we went into the first lockdowns and stuff. Before there was even a whiff of it, mm-hmm. uh, he was talking about how they were doing. Um, what do they call it? They call a uh, cut on retarded, where they print a bunch of money. There's a fucking technical term for it. You, you, I'm gonna think of it later. I just can't think of it. Quantitative Burr. easing. Quantitative oh, there easing. There you go. Yeah. yeah, quantitative easing. They were doing quantitative easing. I wish I could remember how much. It was like either billions or trillions, but a lot. And I think at that time, what they were trying to do is they were trying to push off the, like, because we were overdue for for a fucking recession. Because, I mean, with a boom-bust cycle, it's like, what, every roughly 8 to 12 years, usually. Um, and we were overdue. It had been, like, over 12 years, I think. I wish I could remember when the last one was off yeah, the top of my head. But, yeah, we were we were overdue. And Ron Paul was going on, brought up how we were printing a fuckload of money right before the election. And so it was almost seemed like they were trying their best to like ease their way to like over that little hill to like mm-hmm. get past it. And it didn't obviously didn't work out. Um, and, um, you know, well, it, 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 in fairness, it has worked out. It, it, sort has of, kept yeah. the, it has kept the economy from collapsing because had they yeah. not done it and, and you had 10 percent of the workforce stay home. Um, yeah, we would have had an economic collapse. Yeah. So, I mean, it, people don't really understand how much of this has been papered over. You have. Yeah. The PPP loans, which kept the businesses afloat, you have the the uh, enhanced unemployment insurance that the federal and state level. So people were, I mean, young kids were filing and getting a thousand dollars a week to do nothing, and and that has persisted for over a year. I mean, there is an enormous amount of money that has just been pumped into people's pockets, and it has allowed this bullshit economy to stay afloat when it should have paid a deep, deep economic price. And I am only talking about the American printing. If you include global, it gets extraordinary. Yeah, it gets to like clown world when you start thinking about globally. Because yes. when you think of it, just one country. So we're so interconnected now. That's what's a unique aspect of this whole fucking this whole thing is the the global nature of it. Because a lot of our recessions prior were, I mean, yeah, it was kind of a little bit other countries, but you're kind of segmented up. But we're so interconnected now. Uh, TJ Fitzsimmons, two two cool guys uh, talking important stuff. Economics is everything because economics is all about human action. Listen in the morning. Have a great night, fellas. Thanks, TJ. I really appreciate the super chat. Thanks, man. Um, all right. Anyways, let's keep going. Uh, our economic system was already a house of cards. By 2016, debt to GDP was 100%. Five years later, it approaches 140%. This means that the USG owes nearly 140% of the total annual production of our entire economy. This is extraordinarily rare until now. I'll let you go ahead and break this one down a little bit because uh, – sure. I mean, this is where I get start when, once you start throwing around terms and like the percentage of stuff, like the charts and facts is where I get fucked. So, uh, <laughs> but let's start out with what GDP is first. And then, uh, cause I know I, it's what gross domestic, pro- domestic product, but I'll explain that for those who don't know. Cause it is a number of, uh, 
it's a term that gets thrown a lot around a lot, and I feel like most people just go, yeah, yeah, GDP, and they don't really know what the fuck it is. Yeah, well, I mean, and and in fairness, GDP figures are, are it's a government accrued, uh, yeah. you know, number, so its accuracy is highly in doubt because it's the government. Um, but basically, what it is is it's a it's a metric by which they they tabulate the total economic production of the nation. So it's I think it's somewhere around uh, what is it? I think it's somewhere around twenty trillion annually is our normal GDP. And that's for America. Um, so in 2016, our GDP was the same as our total debt. So it's really important people understand that when they talk about like tax receipts, tax receipts are only a fraction of the GDP. It's probably 20 to 30% of total GDP that the federal government takes in in taxes. So if you, if you are producing 20 trillion, the government is actually only taking in say six or seven trillion of that and that your debt is 20 trillion now it's 30 trillion uh so yeah that's why the gdp has escalated from 100 percent to 140 percent yeah so we're literally upside down we're, we're literally our our the cost on the debt exceeds what we our income is at this point which is ridiculously bad i do want to say to those in the live stream i see all your questions uh i would go into them but this is already a long thread so if you do want me to answer them, you can put them in the form of super chat. And then, I mean, you're giving me money. I'll fucking give a couple seconds for it. But uh, not even to be a dick. I normally would try to, but this is a long one. So I don't want to make us do a three hour thing by answering every question in the comments. But if you want to make a super chat, you know, I'll, you know, go for it. Um, today, 20 plus countries likely have debt to GDP ratios over 100%. I say likely because numbers are hard to come by mid-year and the borrowing has been record-breaking. So I'm pushing a few countries from the high 90s to 100% using the 2020 figures. This is governmental, not consumer. This is what I was getting at earlier. It's just nuts that how we're getting to this point where it's like basically all the countries are upside down. And, and this does tie into late some of your later points, but it's like, that's fucking wild. So it's like... <laughs> Like the all the countries are upside down, so it's like, well, not not all, but not all, but a good a huge most amount, most of them, the good chunk, and especially the major players. So it's yes. like that's what makes it weird. Like, what is he? What even happens in a world where, like, say, if we had said every person in the world was upside down in their debt, like, what what happens? We're in topsy turvy world. So well, that, that's kind yeah. of what happened in two thousand eight, um, yeah. where we had all these people that are upside down on their houses, and you saw what happened there. Right now, the only reason that the the federal government's globally are able to sustain their debt is because they have the capacity to print and borrow more money. Um, America has the, the the ultimate capacity to print additional capital because they are the global reserve currency. Other nations don't have that luxury, so they have to be a little bit more fiscally sane. But keeping in mind that they don't have that luxury, still over 20 countries, by my estimation, are 100, 100 plus percent in terms of debt to GDP already. And that's with government figures, as we all know, when it comes to unfighted li liabilities, it's probably much, much higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is basically your next point, too, that you just said just now. If you include corporate, consumer, and governmental debt, we are nearing $300 trillion outstanding. This has been sustained by outright monetization where central banks buy treasuries, essentially lending the government printed money, which allows them to keep its inter uh, international rates artificially low. In interest rates. Oh, my bad. Um, <laughs> uh, read that again, $300 trillion. Based on working hours... Lost over 250 million people globally were put out of work in 2020 thanks to lockdowns. It is estimated that 3.7 trillion was lost in wages. It was likely far worse when you consider lost revenue for the businesses on top of that. It is like, I mean, people, 
I, I think people have this idea that we can just like print our way out of shit. And I mean, uh, anyone in the know kind of knows it's not the case. And like, if you're going these periods of time without working or without producing at some point, the, you know, the pendulum has to swing back. And I just, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that. And it'll be interesting to see how this goes in the long run. Um, well, this, this is yeah. exactly why we have inflation right now is because production is not kept up with demand and production hasn't kept up because you kept 10% of the workforce from producing. Uh, now we have supply chain disruptions where you can't get enough ships into the harbors to bring in all of the goods as the economy starts to come back online because they just they weren't built up to have that kind of offload capacity. Um, and this is all this is all things that I documented very extensively in the summer of 2020 when I was pleading with anybody that would listen to not do this because these are the problems that I saw coming and sure as shit, here we are. Yeah, and it's funny too because, you know, to go back to like boom bus cycles uh, and like how with the lockdowns, it seems like every time we've had some sort of bust, the the powers that be, whatever you want to call them, always find a way to find something to blame and here we are uh we were due for a bust a big bust we were overdue for a bust and they made it into the biggest papering over which in a weird way is now i think about it's kind of almost a white pill that they felt the need to have this much of a elaborate excuse you know what i mean like because i mean prior times i mean i'm trying to think of other ones like I know the the Great Depression. What did they blame it on? Uh, I think they kind of almost borderline blamed it on a lack of war, and they, they used like the war they had after to kind of be like, "Look, we papered our way out of it." Like that was kind of similar. You could kind of make comparisons there between the the war at that time that kind of papered their way out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they used the war to get themselves out of it by yeah. you know basically nationalizing huge portions of the industries to create the war machine. Um, but what they really blamed it on was capitalism. They blamed it on on greed and capitalism and, you know, the classic story, same very similar uh, story arc to what they did in 0809, which they responded instead of a new deal. They ended up with Dodd-Frank and a bunch of other things that made it much harder for small lenders to compete with the big banks. Um, and this time it's probably going to be blamed on the unvaccinated, which is yep. going to be horrific, which I think I'm starting to see that there's. It doesn't seem like they have this public buy-in like they think they do. Even like most of my friends, I mean, I know you're in Cali, so maybe you have a different view of the world. But I'm in most Florida, of my friends, Well, you're in Florida now, but you're from Cali. But yeah. like, so you, the people you interact with are different than the people I interact with on a normal day. I mean, most people, I actually, most people I know probably are vaccinated, but every one of them seems that I can think of almost readily concedes that like, Oh, well, you know, like it's kind of your personal choice, blah, blah. This is really stupid. Like every one of them is like, I hate this. Like, I don't think I've really met. I don't think I really know anyone on a personal basis that really supports this at all. And even though most of them are vaccinated for yeah. one reason or another, because I mean, to be fair, I mean, I can understand if you're, you're uneducated on the thing. You, you mean every, a lot of people have people that they interact with on a regular basis that are, you know, immunocompromised, or they feel like they're not in the greatest shape. We are fat as fuck in America. So it is pretty, I mean, whether you agree, I mean, me and you probably could go into like spurg out on like even whether these people should take the, the vaccine. But I mean, it's fair to say if you're fat or old, maybe you should consider it. But if you're in good shape, there's really no, in my opinion, justification. And there goes if this dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're young and healthy, I think it's completely nonsensical. And if you're really yeah. young, like a child, which 
Gavin Newsom has now announced he's going to mandate it for K through 12 as soon as the FDA approves it. Um, I, there's no, literally no justification, no scientific yes. justification, no, no moral justification, no, uh, you know, liberty minded justification, none. There's no justification. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I agree with you that it is hopeful that many people, even those that have been vexed are coming to our, our aid. Uh, but it's going to require them to not just come to our aid verbally, but to come to it in the same way we will in that they need to stand alongside us and say, we're not going to patron businesses that create a caste system in this country. And I pray to God they will. Yeah. And even simple shit is just like, if you're in a job where you have to, and you don't want to, I'd say even just dragging your feet, anything you can, because we're in such a, I mean, which kind of plays to your next point in this thread. We're it's because you say we exist in the most high stakes game of musical chairs in human history where it's like, if you, they are just like on the verge of dropping the ball, any fucking moment. Yep. So anything you can do, because it really is just, it feels like this rush to the chair is what this feels like right now. So it's like, and they realize like, oh shit, 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 shit. There's a reason why this is like coming down like it is, in my yes. opinion. Uh, it no, seems to be rushed and it seems to be, and I think they're overplaying their hand. And the more we drag our feet and the more we say, fuck you, the more it it, it, it makes it more apparent. You know, yes. So, and yeah. uh, James Lindsay was on with Thaddeus Russell a couple of days ago, and he said something to the effect of like, you can't expect to defeat this system with conflict, but if you throw sand in the gears of it, mm -hmm. it'll fall apart on its own. And I think he's exactly right. I think that this, this system, if you understand Austrian economics, you understand that this is unsustainable. So all we have to do is basically survive until it collapses on its own, under its own weight. Very mm -hmm. similar to what the, Russian people had to do under the USSR in 1990s. Um, so I, God willing, it happens soon because if it doesn't, we're in serious trouble. All right. Here's Reed. I'm hot and gay for both of you, but mostly Clint. All I have to say is that you've had the old bull. Now you want the young calf. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're I, like less than 10 years older than me. But <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty virile, sir. <laughs> Taking your horny goat weed or whatever. All right. Um, all right, you, you, we exist in the most high-stakes game of musical chairs in human history. Nearly all central banks have taken the same path. Without much competition, they can all kind of race each other to the bottom, and places <laughs> like the U.S. are held afloat by relative strength, not fundamentals. Uh, people will often say history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, or this time it's different is bullshit. Well, let me tell you, this time is different. And I kind of sort of agree with you i think no matter how this all shakes out i think we're in for a big paradigm shift so yeah you know well i i mean like this is truly historic we are having every central bank in the world essentially do the same thing that you can't you cannot correlate that to anything else it's never happened we we never had a globalized economy in the first place we didn't have it we had very, very isolated pocket economies. Sure, we had a little bit of trade, but now it's like everyone is reliant on everybody else and everyone is doing the same thing from the central bank level on down to the government level to the people. It is it is a house of cards of the highest level I can possibly describe. Like it is so dangerous. What what I am describing is so perilous and so novel. It's so new. Um, this is why my my calculations of it are so dire, but also why my predictions of how it falls apart is so you know, indeterminate because I can't know because I don't have a historical cog cognate to prove, you know, oh, well, this happens and then this will happen. Like, I, this is new. So, yeah. 
This has been the fir- their first attempt, or their, th- this has been the first situation in which they've been this interconnected. Because this is what the, I mean, I was just now thinking about this now, but like empire has just been this thing for like ever, where every country has these empires. They try their best to kind of like take over, but eventually it capsizes just because it's not doable. Mm-hmm. But we've gone to the point where essentially we've gotten the biggest empire has ever gotten. And I know it's not maybe this formalized, like I know you could say the American empire, but it's like, it's really the central banks. It's the power players behind the back. They're kind of the empire. There's not, I mean, they're, they're the shadowy people behind the, the scenes. They're like, essentially they all are interconnected because it's the big central banks. It's the central bank lenders. It's whatever. But like, they've gone to the point where they have created the largest fucking empire there has. And every time there's been a large empire, they get to a point where they overextend and they topple. And it's like they say it's what well, it's like it's slow and then all at once. And yes. but we're so with this being the biggest one, it's probably going to be, you know, also the slowest and also the most at once. You know, we're so it is kind of the, interesting to see how this is going to go. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, there's a there's an analogy that's oftentimes used when it comes to increasing debt uh, of this magnitude is you take a pile of sand. If you have a pile of sand that is, say, yay high, I'm, I'm kind of whited out here, but the 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 stability of the of the sand pile is fairly good because it's so it's so low to the ground gravity doesn't have the capacity to to knock it down much as that sand pile increases in its its height not only does it become less stable but also the fall from the top becomes more significant so you can't know and it's the same thing with the sand pile you can't know when it's going to go but the bigger that sand pile gets the bigger that fall and and the more rapid so this is this is where where we are and I I I am extraordinarily confident that this is not sustainable. Like I yeah. that's that's the main point that I'm trying to drive home to people is like the the MMT people think that they can print this into oblivion and that there will be no economic price to be paid. They are wrong. I am telling you they are wrong and we will find out here here soon how correct I am. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, you know, it's kind of like the MMTers. If anything, I'm almost like want to encourage them at this point. Like, yeah, go ahead, you keep going. Like, well, if you're collapsitarian, like, sure. <laughs> well, it's funny, collapsitarian gets a bad rap, but I actually am. I do. I don't know. I guess I don't necessarily am a collapsitarian in a sense. But at the same time, I want I want us to start creating separate systems, which in a sense will inevitably also destabilize the current system. Yes. So, uh, but well, yeah. Let, keep in mind, I'm not saying that in a derogatory fashion. I'm saying a collapsitarian oftentimes wants it to come sooner rather than later. I'm saying that may not be prudent necessarily, yes. depending on your personal financial position. Like, if you are not ready, you want there to be some time before this happens. If you're ready, then yeah, by all means, yeah, root it on. I did want to say with your sand analogy, this proves that shorter people are better. So um, <laughs> that's true. Hey, when I fall, I fall along a little bit further. Yeah. Uh, Rambo 609, two bucks. Thanks, man. Uh, the first domino may have already tipped with Evergrande, one of the largest Chinese construction lenders at 300 billion, having technically defaulted on debt. This belies a real danger that exists in local government debt in China, which is astronomical, which I was just thinking about this too, like uh, as I read it and said it just now. I do find it interesting that we have been um, basically acting as if China is the next big enemy and when they were the first one to fall. So it, it almost seems this um, convenient thing that like maybe some power players understood that this one was going to go first. So you want to distance yourself from it to kind of be like, oh, well, this is because of this reason or that reason. This would be nothing to do with us. 
Mm-hmm. Then, you know, they're they're a separate thing. Then, you know, oh, yes, yeah, because they're the big bad evil, you know, and we're the good guys. Right. So, I mean, I think there's something to a narrative that can easily be crafted there as to why they're the first domino to fall. But it's OK, you know, here, so. we'll fin- finish out the uh, the tweets about China, because then I'll talk about China more. OK, yeah. Uh, interconnectedness of the globalized economy. Makes oh, you, sk- so- you skipped one. Did I? Yeah. Well, then your thread's all fucked. I don't know what to tell you. Central, <laughs> centrally planned economies do not work. China has done a great oh. job. Yeah, oh, my bad. Yeah, I did read. <laughs> I skipped that. Uh, centrally planned economies do not work. China's done a great job managing this mirage up until now and may a while longer. But I would bet everything they own, I own, they collapse severely in the not too distant future. You cannot centrally plan the needs of 1.4 billion people. So, yeah. So that that's that's really the biggest point I'm making is that like, if if you are <clears throat> an Austrian e- economics believer. This is not a debate. You know, this is like this is hard truth that you can't do what they're doing. That and they've done it and as I've said, they did an amazing job at centrally planning the growth out of, you know, an agrarian farmer society into a, a an industrial one. However, that that transition from industrial to technology is not usually very smooth as we saw with the American industrial revolution that then migrated into the technological boom. Um, it takes a lot of time and you're going to have collapses from here, you know, uh, from time to time. So I think that it's just, it's a ticking time bomb. And and I think that Pete Quinones was dead on when he talked about it on Tim Pool that, you know, people that fear monger about China basically don't understand economics. Like that, that's, that's my belief is that they don't like China is very dangerous because they have one point, what did I say? 1.4 billion people. Um, so they have significant they, I mean, a meat grinder. If if you ended up in a war with them, they also have nuclear weapons. So, like, I'm not I'm not downplaying their risk to us. But yeah. when it comes to them being an economic powerhouse that that un you know deceits us or unthrones us, I don't see it happening. Yeah, they're dangerous in the aspect of a dying animal is dangerous. So, where yes. is it? But if you have a little bit of prudence, you just go, well, leave that fucking animal alone, and uh, we'll come back in a few hours, and we'll just pick up the carcass and whatever we want out of well, it, you know? This is this is an interesting <laughs> side note, because America's in the same boat. I mean, we are, we are also a dying creature and, mm-hmm. and dangerous in that regard. What's fascinating is that, and people don't know this, but uh, Russia has almost no debt, and and Russia will be in the catbird seat to be the next global economic force when this comes to pass. So, uh, it's interesting because the Democrats have fear mongered about Russia and Russia is not a threat because yeah. their economy isn't that that significant. I think it's like as big as California, practically. So, um, yeah, it, but it's interesting, though, because when this debt apocalypse comes, Russia will be sitting pretty, whereas everybody else will be scrambling. Yeah, no, Russia has uh, learned a lot of uh, they seem to have taken a lot of their past um trials and tribulations to heart and learn the right lesson on, on a country level. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, me and you are both anarchists, so we're both, we both have our uh, issues with them, but they seem to have adapted pretty well. Um, I do want to, I wanted to make a little side note that 2020 kind of has been the year where we took theory and realized it's theory is reality. Um, and so, cause I mean, we could, we're able to kind of for a long time, just act as if, you know, Oh, this is just theory. And like in our head, we're like, yeah, it was applies. But now we're like, yeah, it really fucking applies. It's like, mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people are scrambling there. I, I One other side note, I want to mention you said that we had talked about like, the dying animal thing and how America is a dying animal, which the point is, I think one thing I've said a few times is 
this is where like ruralism and shit like that comes into play or moving to areas of liberty. Because I think when you have a dying animal, what happens is they move to their where they feel comfortable and that's where they're dangerous. Like a dying lion will retreat to the cave or whatever. Like they'll, they'll, mm. so like if you, you just want to get away from them. So this is the whole point of mo- moving to rural areas, moving to red states, uh, shit like that. Cause like, yes, it's dying, but it's also going to be more dangerous and it's going to be more dangerous in its power centers, which is yes. the blue states and the cities. Yep. So yeah, exactly. Um, all right. We'll keep moving. Actually, I'm going to address a couple of these. Uh, Rainbow's uh, 679 said, meant to, meant to ask you to admit Griffith is wrong. Oh, Griffith did nothing wrong. Uh, that's a Berserk uh, reference, which is some super nerdy shit. Uh, anyone who understands Berserk knows that Griffith did some horrid shit. <laughs> uh, basically screwed over everyone he loved ever in his life just to be able to get power, which is kind of a beautiful uh, fucking um, metaphor for government. So <laughs> I get pussy, so I have no idea what this is about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, how can you care about economic and national collapse when there are people out there being misgendered? Well, see, I don't give a fuck. So, <laughs> shout out biblical anarchy. That yeah. was that was good. <laughs> that was a pretty good one. Uh, all right, the interconnectedness of the globalized economy makes for too many variables for me to tell you definitively what tips us into oblivion. All I know is that oblivion cometh, which that is a fair point. I mean, because. The problem with Esther economics is it's not a fortune teller's device. It just is like, a, hey, the uh, fundamentals are fucked. <laughs> like the, the, the way I view it is it's like a thermometer. It's yeah. like you you may not know exactly at what temperature it, it becomes a problem, but you can tell that the, the temperature is increasing. And Austrianomics, uh, Austrian economics tells you that, hey, it's like 115 degrees right now. Like this is, this is dangerous for human health. Um, so that's kind of how I view it. Mm-hmm. All right, gold has historically been the barometer, you know, thermometer barometer, <laughs> by which <laughs> central bank malfeasance can be held at bay or at least measured. Due to central bank manipulation, I no longer believe it to be that tool, though it will be a great hedge in the day of reckoning comes. It has also fallen from favor. Um, the crypto space, specifically Bitcoin, I believe is a new measuring stick. With a supply more fixed than gold and greater utility and ease of transit, I view it as the actual actual metric by which mass printed fiat shows its dastardly face. Which that's a fun point because it is like this year has been the rise of crypto. Like if you look mm-hmm. at all the numbers, everything. But although it has been weird, it seems like gold in a lot of places haven't hasn't. But it also from I mean I don't normally get in the weeds with shit, but from the little bit I know, it seems like there's been a lot of uh, I think you said it in one of these tweets. Uh, there's been a lot of fuckery afoot where they've been mess- fudging with the numbers to kind of uh, hold down the value of gold to where it's like because they know that if the gold goes up, they're like it makes them look bad. But on the other hand, from the powers that be, they probably are in their head. You know, when something like crypto booms, or they can kind of be like oh silly crypto. But they can right. only play that fucking game for so long, you know? True. So. But I think that's exactly what they're doing is they're saying inflation's not a serious issue. Look at gold. Gold's still sitting at 18, 1900 or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, it's it's only gone up 40, 40% from its low a few years ago. So whereas crypto is up 10x, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, obviously different. I'm, I'm referring to Bitcoin, but um, there's others that aren't aren't up that much. But anyways, point being... Uh, and I cover it in the next one. I say, uh, unfortunately, is too new and adoption is ongoing. So it is still a highly volatile investment and cannot be used to measure inflation either. The reason I say that is that it, because Bitcoin is still being adopted, you can't. It's 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 not the same thing as gold, where gold has 
thousands of years of adoption and people know what it's for. It's to hedge against really catastrophic economic collapse and, and fiat currency implosions. So, um, you know, Bitcoin, I think will be that mechanism, but we need gold. Uh, Bitcoin. We hey. just solve the problem. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I actually said this four or five years ago and, and I was like, I was like, what we need is a cryptocurrency backed by gold. And then Peter Schiff came out with it. Uh, I have no idea. I haven't looked into it, but it, it might be legit. Pierre Schiff's like, fuck, I like crypto now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how you had to get him in there. Uh, centrally banks globally are moving to CBDC, central bank digital currencies, to try and increase their capacity for tracking economic activity, uh, to rob you, and surveillance to control dissidents, and to compete with things like Bitcoin. I believe they are doomed to fail, which that's a fun point or a fair point that you brought up about how they are starting to adopt cryptos as well. And I know that's the one thing people always use to like shit on like crypto. And I, I'm the first one to say I'm a tech idiot. I'm, I haven't bought into crypto like I should. I also just don't have that much extra money to throw around. Uh, but fucking like, I just haven't got into it, but a lot of people use it as like a way to shit on it about how, you know, the government's already involved, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, and they're like, Oh, crypto is not the silver bullet. One, I don't think it's a silver bullet. I think it's an opportunity and as with any opportunity, obviously centralized coercive systems are going to try to take advantage of it. And they, and they are. are. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think they will. And I think it will. And I know you say they're doomed to fail. I think they are in a in an all encompassing global sense. Yes, they're doomed to fail. But I think in some areas there will be pockets of in the future, you know, centuries from now, there will be pockets of statism that are, you know, exist, existing off some sort of fiat crypto. Oh, but sure. those, but I mean, I I do have a white pill type thing where I do think the future is, you know, well, if anything, I think this is more of a tool for freedom than it is for authoritarianism. But it will be used for authoritarianism as well. Just, yeah. Well, the know. the reason I think that they're doomed to fail is because they can't outcompete a hard currency like Bitcoin. Um, and if you have the option, which obviously it can be criminalized, but you still will have the option to move your assets into Bitcoin versus U.S. dollar coin. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I am going to be putting my money in Bitcoin long before I ever put it in US dollar coin. Now, this also comes into play. This is why they want CBDCs is because they can then track interaction or, uh, transactions very efficiently. I mean, this is why they want to have this new law where any bank account with more than $600 in it is constantly I was just tracking. about to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. th this is what they're doing, and yeah. and it's crystal clear. If you understand how perilous this game is, how dangerous, uh, you know, this pedestal of which we sit upon, is this is why they're doing that, and and it's not just about creeping totalitarianism, which is definitely a, a, an enormous problem. But there's a reason that they are making these leaps, is that they know that if they don't get a handle on their financial system. They will be fucking destroyed by um, hard assets like golden cryptocurrency. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah no, I think uh, obviously the fundamentals win in the end uh, as much as people try to dick around and do this or the that or the other, you know. Uh, CBDCs are fiat, but worse. Uh, I'll pass. I'll shut up and give you my conclusions. I believe China has a cascading debt default within five years and global capital will flee to U.S. treasuries, causing a surge in the purchasing dollar of the Purchasing power of the dollar, deflation. Due to enormous debt, there will be a major problem. Strong dollar equals harder to pay off debt. The Fed will respond with full-blown MMT. It is already happening. I believe COVID slash lockdowns were used to get us accustomed to it. 
Mass printing. The, do- the dollar will whips off. First deflation, collapse, and then inflation, societal collapse. So that, that is an interesting thought. I don't think I've seen anyone yet put it like that, which is a fair point because that's one thing with China getting ready to, to fall apart. Uh, they're already now using the U.S. dollar for a lot because ours has more value. And, you know, this is kind of this this uh, game of cards. And this is a lot of people don't realize this is a lot of what our military is for is to uphold the value of the dollar. Like we get involved in some foreign nation. We fucking, you know, big dick energy them. And you'd be like, hey, you know, we're here now, bitch. Guess what? You're buying your gas with fucking U.S. dollars, you know, and and that's how this game plays. And so something like, you know, a giant uh, major world power no longer using their currency and using ours is going to very much do that because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we are still the big guy uh, in a sense. So I don't know if you want to elaborate on that at all. So. Well, uh, the reason I think that deflation comes first is because of the debt, which is what I lead this entire thread with, is I'm trying to really drive home the fact that this is this is a new precedent-setting debt level, and it's global in nature. So the odds of you going from that to a... It would basically require a global hyperinflation in order to alleviate that debt burden, and it would also create enormous social unrest you would have societal collapse essentially if if all of the fiat currencies globally did the same thing where they just hyperinflated and they all became worthless so um i don't think that's going to happen what my my money my bet is that it's going to be a deflationary collapse because that debt overhang is so heavy and the the carrying cost of that debt is so significant that you will see um cascading defaults probably began by china's overborrowing and over overproduction because they've just built millions of houses that many of them aren't occupied, things like that. So I think that they'll, this is why I, I bring up um, Evergrande is that they could very well be that first domino in the global debt collapse that I'm describing. And, and that's why I have my money bet on a deflationary bust because if China defaults on, on a huge percentage of their debt, people will panic and they will buy U.S. treasuries because that is the historic safe haven when you have no um, clarity on what's a good investment. So when that happens, the dollar strengthens because you have all of the trillions in, glo- in global wealth will flood the U.S. treasury market. That'll that'll suppress interest rates once again, um, but it'll it'll end up creating a deflationary collapse because the dollar will be so strong, and then the the Americans who owe that debt. Will now be in a, a you know the same problem that China's having, uh, so that's that's how I see it leading to, from yeah. you know A to B. So to put it a little more simplistic, I, I would say this deflationary uh, aspect of the dollar, essentially sort of increasing in value in a sense, will I, I would say in a sense that will signal to the U.S. government to print more while it's while it's you know it's up, you know, yes. to kind of be like, hey. You know, the going's good. You know, let's capitalize on this. Yes, they will. Um, and they will overextend their hand because, you know, it's clearly artificial. So with, exactly. you know, what, this, we this take is what I once. Talk... Yeah, go ahead. Jerry. Oh, this is what I talked about earlier with um, it's not based off fundamentals, but it's relative strength. The U.S. dollar will look relatively good, but that doesn't mean it's good. You know, yeah. it just means that it's better than the Chinese uh, yeah. yuan or whatever they use. So, and instead of letting the pendulum naturally fall back to its own place, it all it's doing is accelerating it from one side of the pendulum to the other, which is just going to increase the the swing back. Um, exactly. Yeah. All right. So it brings me no joy to deliver this message, and I pray I'm wrong, but I wouldn't feel right not giving you my opinion so you can prepare as best you can. 
So where's the white pill, Clint? I'm getting there. A global economy with such enormous debt overhang cannot grow rapidly. It is vitally important we get away from worthless paper and shift to hard money. Thanks to new technology, we now we now have a pathway that can start anew and grow. I believe the next decade will be the most challenging economic and civilizational climate in your lifetime by a lot. In periods of great economic upheaval, the vast majority of people suffer. The few that understand what's happening could ascend to the greatest heights. Which, that's the thing. Uh, I had you on an episode a while back, and actually I think it was our own, my first episode of you. Uh, it might have been the only other episode I've done with you, now I think about it. But we were talking about the clear pill, which I actually, I think I found out I was actually a little bit wrong by the clear pill, but I saw it as realism. And I think that's essentially what you're saying here, is that you know we need to have a little bit of realism here. And realize that shit is not going well, and start being able to think about the long run. Because, for example, I, 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 well, no, I got out of active duty military in the past like year. Or past few months and for me it has been a little bit financially hard it's been a drawback but i know i would like to say i'm some big hero and i did it because of my you know principles and blah blah, blah. i actually did it a lot for economic reasons because i think like you do that we're in for great changes here soon and i would be very irresponsible if i dragged my family along in that mm-hmm. in a place within said failing institution Mm-hmm. Um, cause I mean, I was, I'm for, to be clear, I was 11 years and, uh, you get 20 years, you get a pension. So I had nine years. I mean, don't get me wrong. Maybe, maybe if I'd played that gamble, maybe I'd win out. I don't know. But like from an economic sense, I don't want to take that gamble. Um, mm-hmm. I, I actually am of the opinion that I don't think for my friends that are still in there, I, that are like had roughly about the same time as me. I think you guys are in for an upset. You know, if any of you guys are watching it. So, and I mean, shit already, I'm seeing cultural shift big time. I still have friends that are in there and they're, they're seeing a big cultural shift happening. Um, you know, cause a lot of people don't think about like, say with like these vax mandates, how they affect systems like that. Like now what's happening within that is, you know, you gotta think that the, the military is very conservative. So like a lot of these people are not against it, but there are a lot of people in the military who are saying, no, I don't want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And they very well may get shit canned. And so what's happening now is the government is, in a sense, to some extent, a little bit helping out with their, their money issue by getting rid of people they don't need. Since we're not, I, I feel like we're not going to be as involved uh, over the Middle East here soon. I think they're going to draw back. And now you have a force of people who are more yes men than they were before. Mm-hmm. Because anyone who wasn't willing to go along is gone. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 I think I, that's I think that's the intent of, of yeah. the purge is exactly that. And, and it's not, and this is the key. It's not just happening in the military. This is happening in private business now, too. You're going to yes. have basically any, you know, this 10% of holdouts or maybe it's 15% that decide, you know, okay, I'm going to go work for myself. I'm going to do whatever I have to. I'm going to go to a smaller employer to try and avoid this mandate. Uh, well, what does that leave behind? It leaves behind massive institutions that are filled with docile people that are not capable of standing up for themselves or unwilling to stand up for themselves. And that's exactly what tyrannical governments want. They want to have mm-hmm. docile, yes men, do as you're told type folks, and they are doing a great job of purging any independently minded people. Yeah, which I mean, we definitely have to be smart and account for this. And, you know, I mean, it is just a natural reaction. I mean, you're obviously your options are stay within the system or get out or or some maybe some sort of in between. Obviously, I think you should get out and create new institutions where we should try to support each other in that endeavor. Yes. Uh, but there is obviously with a yin, there's a yang. So you do got to recognize as you leave these institutions, you are also 
essentially dooming them to be shittier institutions, which I mean, they were already shitty to begin with, but that's kind of fine. I'm, I'm a big fan of having the divide. I, I know that in a sense will kind of make it more tyrannical in a sort of way, but at the same time, it also makes it more toothless in a certain kind of way. So well, the, the main, a, the main white pill of it is that you have the people that are independently minded now going out and becoming entrepreneurs. That's good. Mm -hmm. And you want those type of people to become the new economic powerhouse moving forward. So that's what we need to see happen. But simultaneously, the Blackfield perspective is that you will then have institutions that are monolithic in their thinking and extraordinarily dangerous to dissidents. Mm -hmm. So yes. it's you take the good with the bad. Yeah, no, I mean, it is... I am and a lot of people criticize agorism as being like this thing that will create more authoritarianism. And I kind of don't disagree because I've, I've, I've applied a lot of popular liberties concept of archetropism to it. And I actually am of, I do see power as this, like almost as if like fluids in a system mm -hmm. to where like, if you move the fluid out of one area, all you're doing is increasing the amount of fluid in another. And so that's kind of how I perceive of power. So as we fucking create more pockets of liberty, I think it conversely also creates more concentration of power. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do think, yes, I think it's great we're seeing more liberty. So this is why I get kind of, I get kind of, I don't, I really get annoyed with a white pill, black pill. It's like, dude, we're just describing reality. Like feel about it however the fuck you want. I don't really give a shit. But like, it is just kind of like, here's what's happening. So what are you doing now? So I, I do think there is like, Yes, things are going to get worse, but with things getting worse, there are going to be other places where things get better because this is mm -hmm. how things work. So I, I, ideally, my future, you know, 100 years from now, I think we are going to see, if I had to just make a rough guess, we're going to see like little city states that are authoritarian little, you know, technocratic North Koreas. And then we're going to see people live on the outskirts that are like, yeah, maybe it's technically kind of a country, but they don't really give a shit and they do whatever the fuck they want to some extent. And that sounds horrible in a certain sense, but hey, don't live in that fucking technocratic area. We've been yelling at you forever to not do that. So yeah. if you well, do it, I don't know if I can tell you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as someone who's got their, you know, almost their entire family still in, in California. Yeah. You know, I, I struggle with the, that outlook just simply because it's like, yeah, I got out and so did some of my relatives, but others are staying behind. And, and by the time they actually want to get out, they could be in the position of being in Australia where there's no capacity to leave. Um, mm -hmm. so it's like, uh, but I totally get your point. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's necessary that people take this threat seriously. Now like you've got to stop delaying. You got to stop saying, Oh, the next election. Oh, well, you know, my, my whole family was like, Oh, Newsom's going to get recalled. We'll be all right. And I was like, it ain't happening folks. He ain't getting recalled. So, uh, they, they have to stop relying on political solutions and start to take action in their own hands. No, I get it. And I, I, I mean, I, I definitely sympathize with that. Like, I say all the time to like move and shit. And I, it's, it's like easy for me to say as someone living in Florida who just so happened to be stationed in Florida. Right. And I just so happened to already have a, a little bit more of a country like property. It's not like I plan any of this shit. I'm not some fucking genius who saw the writing on the wall like a decade ago. Like <laughs> this is like, I was like, I just so happened to be in the military and be stationed in Florida. And then I just so happened to be like, Hey, I would like to have a couple acres, you know, and live a little bit more with like, people with that kind of lifestyle just because that lifestyle is appealing to me not because right. i was like this will this will be good in the coming collapse <laughs> <laughs> well you, you got lucky but you're you got an advantage for sure yeah so i mean it is what it is i'm not some fucking genius that's like 
And so it does feel a little bit condescending to be like, do what I did. But it's like, but I didn't really do it for that reason. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, like, I just so happened to have got lucky there. And you should probably do something similar. Yes. And it is like, if you don't, you don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And I, I know it's like, it is hard because it is like so many people are just, you know, sucked into the same old shit. So at the end of the day, at some point you got to do it and then hope that other people follow suit because I mean, it is what it is. So yep. ASAP. You know. Yeah, I believe the next decade will be the most challenging economic and civilizational climate in your lifetime by a lot. In periods of great economic upheaval, the vast majority of people will suffer. The few that understand what's happening can ascend to the greatest heights. I may have already read that because I think that's where I got the idea for where we kind of went on a little diatribe there. Because it is kind of like if you see the things ahead of time, you know, not saying that like me, myself, I'm going to be some fucking, I'm going to be like killing it here in the future, but... To some extent, like say to my other homies in the mil- still in the military, I think I'm going to be in a better place from them, you know, 10, 20 years from now. Probably. I, I mean, may, probably not in as good of a spot as you are because you are definitely more positioned to be in a spot. You're a still a young bachelor that's retired with, you know, much more economic um, mobility, you know. So you are definitely in a much better spot. Entrepreneurialism is the way to go. Mm-hmm. And it is like 2020 put... I think a lot of people are starting to realize that, like, after 2020, that, like, oh, shit, like, how deep the government's dick is into everything. So it's, like, this is why entrepreneurialism was the way to go. And, like, agorism or even, like, Austrian economics has been, like, preaching it for, like, ever. There's a reason. When you're an entrepreneur, you are so much more, uh, I mean, I guess to go into, like, Jason Stapleton, kind of, like, wealth, power, and influence. You, you have that. You are able to you are much more mobile, more fluid, a lot, a lot harder to be fucked with. You don't have these you power centers that control you. So, yeah. I mean, it is, it is hard because it's hard to go from, you know, you know, not to sound like a socialist, but like a wage slave to an entrepreneur. Uh, it's not just as easy, you know, light switch you flick. It's something you got to work towards. So, yeah. and, and if you don't have the skill set for it, it's extraordinarily challenging. So yeah. hopefully you, your listeners have been working their, their way towards, a skill set that allows them to branch out on their own, especially if they work for an employer with over a hundred employees, that's going to start to treat them as if they don't have bodily autonomy or medical privacy. Mm-hmm. Well, this is your, this is your opportunity to branch out and start that side hustle. I hope many people, and I know a lot of people have started that side hustle over the past 18 months because they were working from home and they had nothing but extra time on their hands because they were just bullshitting around on their computer. Yeah. So this is, this is the opportunity, and this is why we need liberty-minded people in particular to be in innovating aggressively to try and create that new uh, you know, gray market, black market, whatever it has to be, um, so that we can try and come out on top. And, and if you take you know, this advice that I'm giving in the upcoming tweets, uh, you have the opportunity to come out miles ahead if my prediction is accurate. So mm-hmm. um, you know, give it serious consideration. Yeah, definitely do something. I mean, shit, me and you, both of our shows were born out of the fucking lockdowns. Exactly. And like, this is one of my many side hustles. And I'm not at all saying I'm a completely, you know, independent, you know, fucking uh, entrepreneur at this point, but I'm moving my way there. And a lot of people are as well. And those that aren't quite there, I think those that are there should try to help. I mean, we need to start taking notes from the lefties with like mutual aid, shit like that. That's like the way forward. Um, But, um, if I'm right, you'll want cash holdings to buy inflation hedges like crypto and precious metals or real estate during the deflationary phase when prices plummet. Then you can sit tight as those assets become exponentially more valuable as we shift to a hard money new world. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I've been thinking too for the past few years that like hard assets are where you want to be. So property, 
you know, just just things in general that you can actually, you know, I don't know, have Tangible. some sort of tangible. Yeah. So, yeah, it, but but the key is if I'm right about the deflationary collapse, what you want to be doing is accruing cash right now. So yes. uh, that seems counterintuitive. And it's actually the opposite of what most libertarians are doing. Most libertarians are all in on crypto. Or they're all in on gold or all in on silver. I think that may be a mistake. So, yeah. Keep keep some powder dry is what people describe it as. It's when you want to have some cash on hand so that if there is a collapse, which there ought to be, um, then you want to be in a position to buy those depreciated or deflated assets. And the beauty from like an agoristic standpoint of cash is it is basically the only untrackable thing. True. I mean, obviously yeah. you have gold, but obviously gold's not easily, you know, usable. But uh, I mean, I, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there. I mean, you know, for anyone like any feds watching, it's totally a joke. But I have a fucking uh, I have a, my kitty cat business where I, I sell hairless cats. And uh, I mean, I just if someone wants to tip me with cash, wink, wink, that's fucking great. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, I give all I do is just do these for the goodness of my heart. And I just give them to good homes and shit like that. But like, so I, you know, cash, you know, there's. They can't track cash, and especially like you're getting if there's gonna be a deflationary period. I may have once again, incidentally or accidentally, fucking fell into the right place to be, because uh, and especially the six hundred thing. You know, it's not like I can easily move that cash in and out of a bank account. You know, without right. throwing up some red flags. So you know, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll fucking kill it here in the fucking coming collapse with Let's a bunch go. of cash on hand. <laughs> this is a prediction, not a promise. Do not follow me blindly. There is enormous risk as we could potentially go straight to hyperinflation, in which case you want to be buying any hard set you hard asset you can right now despite record prices. I think this is less likely despite it being du jour. Uh yeah, you definitely like it's like really you never should go all in on anything. Like unless you're yeah. certain. I mean, if you yeah. get to a point of certainty, like like for instance, once the collapse happens. I will have a tremendous amount of certainty that you should be buying hard assets because the government, the central banks, will respond by destroying the currency to oblivion, in my opinion, because they already have so much debt, they will end up printing uh, just an extraordinary amount of money. I think we'll end up being very similar to Weimar, and it's in the arc of uh, you know inflationary hedges just skyrocketing. So that's that's the whole you know, premise of my prediction is that you have an opportunity to buy those assets when they drop in value, but then you, you're going to want to move aggressively into those assets when you see opportunities. Yeah. Uh, a world with sound money alleviates more problems than I can list, but if we can get there, it will ensure the greatest phase of human flourishing you can imagine. Stay vigilant, stay active, stay hopeful, stay tuned. If you'd like to learn more, I cover this stuff on my show every so often. I mean, it's hundreds of millions of dollars for about a decade retire my 30s this info is valuable and you can learn more for free here if interested i thought there was more to the thread but yeah no i'm actually surprised we, we went through it all that time but yeah no uh i do think there is a big white pill whereas like if you see the way this is going here in the future i think you know it's like if you can see the shit out in advance you know you you'll do better and that was kind of the point i was getting out with me getting out of the military because from a financial immediate you know like low time brand friends or actually was it fucking a high time preference type perspective. I should, I would have been like, Hey, I'm, I was 11 years in, I was a fucking E six. I'm fucking killing it because I'm not gonna lie. Shit's tight right now for me. But like, but at the same time, I'm like, I think shit's going to be a lot more roughier soon in like, you know, five to 10 years. So, you know, where do I want to be like, cool. I may have a pension from a government, but it's like, what does that mean when the, when the fucking money's gone to shit? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, if yeah. there, if your pension is three grand a month, but three grand doesn't even pay for like 
rent anymore. Yeah. What fucking good does it do you? So like, it, I think that it's really an opportune time. Uh, I mean, obviously a couple years ago would have been even better, but regardless now there's no better time to start than now. So I, I hope that, um, you know, people take this seriously. They understand what I'm, what I'm talking about and they start to take action because you have a real significant opportunity to better your life. And if we are entering a phase where totalitarianism will be increasing, you're going to want to have financial flexibility so you can look after yourself, your loved ones, things of that nature. So it's, it's really, especially given how few people understand what I'm talking about, it's really important that if you do understand it, you become that, that, you know, that solid rock for your family where you can actually look after those that don't understand what's coming. Yeah. And to touch on the military thing again, for any of my, any people that are still in or know anyone's in or just really in any government job whatsoever right now, um, with the thing with the vaxes, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fucking, in a sense, it's almost a silver lining because this is essentially your chance to get out of a contract fairly easily. I mean, I know a lot of people are thrown around. They might give you dishonorable discharges. As someone who spent 11 years in, I highly, highly, highly doubt it will probably be what's called other than honorable, which basically doesn't mean anything. Like, cause, uh, since you've honorable, you have dishonorable and then you have like, you have these other ones. We really don't want a dishonorable because you're gonna have a hard time getting a McDonald's job if you get dishonorable. Like you're really fucked. But if it's as long as it's not dishonorable, you're good. It's like yeah. uh, what out. I've been hearing is other than honorable. But even then, I have a feeling you'll probably get honorable because I mean, shit. Most people who get busted for weed these days get like an honorable discharge. So, like, it's I, I really think if you're someone out there who wants to get out, just refuse it. Yeah. Like if you're I mean, already a spot where you don't want to be there anyways, this is your easy way to get out of contract. Cause uh, I know Dylan Allman did an episode on Pete Canino's show a while ago about like how to be a conscious objector. It's a giant fucking pain in the ass um, to be a conscious objector and get out of the military. Cause I know a lot of people think like, Oh, I could just quit. Like, no, you kind of can't. They'll throw your ass in jail. Right. Um, so there's a, there's a whole system to it. To me, I just waited till my contract was out. Cause it was just like, I knew it was gonna be a hassle going that mm -hmm. route. But anyone's interested, go check out uh, Dylan Allman's episode. I can't remember which one it is, but he goes into that. And it's a, it's a nightmare, as I assumed it would be, because I know the bureaucratic nature of the fucking military. Um, but, yeah, but definitely me, use this as an example. That there's a chance to get out if you're at all you know, latched onto the system. So. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and let me uh, make one caveat or addition to this thread. Um, as I read it back, I thought about it. And it's like there is a real distinct possibility that China does not collapse first and that it's something that I'm not even thinking of. I mean, it could be, it could be Japan. Japan has a uh, debt to GDP uh, of uh, about 240%. It's the highest in the world, maybe the highest in the history of the world. I mean, it's enormous. So um, they also have a really good culture that works together and maybe they can weather it longer. I mean, they've already done it longer than any, uh, you know, economic analyst thought possible. So maybe it's not them, but my point is, there are so many countries with debt to GDP over 100% that any of them could be the domino that starts this cascading effect across other nations. So uh, just keep that in mind. Don't don't lock in on any one nation to watch in your analysis. It's really vital that you stay flexible and you stay privy to everything that's happening. And I know that's daunting and it's exhausting, but uh, you know, just listen to my show if you need <laughs> yeah. need me to do the work for you. Yeah, Japan will just keep seppukuing their way out of the problem. So. <laughs> uh, well, this is a good spot to go ahead and uh, drop plugs. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs, let them know who you are, where you're from, all that shit. Yeah, if uh, if you want to learn more about this stuff, as I've said, I, I talk about it periodically on my show. Um, 
it's not the focus of my show because the focus of my show is tyranny and the lockdowns. But in terms of what you can actually do to weather uh, what I see coming, I, I think that uh, I have you know tips here and there that'll be really prescient and helpful. Uh, if you've been following me on Twitter for a while, you already know that I've I've demonstrated my track record that like I really do see a lot of this stuff coming before it happens. So um, stay tuned. It's Liberty Lockdown on YouTube and at Liberty Lockpod on Twitter and then Liberty Lockdown on any podca- podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, everywhere else. Thanks for having yeah, me def- on, man. Oh, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, definitely go check out his shit. Uh, I'm going to just do my plugs. And if you guys have any questions, you know, super chat or not, I'll, I'll address them since we got done earlier than I thought we would. Uh, but yeah, I'll go and drop my plugs. And like I said, if there's anything at that point, we'll do it. Uh, I have the no way Jose YouTube channel. I'm on all the major audio podcasts as well. I'm on Odyssey. Definitely. Sorry. It's getting creepy. I joked earlier about the, you know, we mentioned the Vax a couple times and might pull it. It's not at all that crazy that it might, um, at follow me on Twitter at, at galley San Jose. If you want to give me money, you want to support me, patreon.com slash no way Jose 2020 like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. I appreciate everyone who came here to watch us and, Hope you enjoy it. Definitely take this to heart because I do think there's a lot of good information in here. Uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and play an ad. And then, uh, you know, if you want to hang out, uh, we can talk after, Clint. Or if you want to bounce, I'm, I won't be offended either way. So I, I got to cut that episode for David Lindbergh. By the way, okay. if people are still listening, yeah. check out this episode tomorrow. I have the MP. Uh, he's basically like one of the only libertarian politicians from Victoria, Australia. He dropped some like breaking news on my show, which is really uh, horrifying. So you're not going to want to miss that. I will be dropping that episode tomorrow morning. Yep. And if you guys stick around for this ad read, this is actually someone who supports me and Clint. So, I mean, with the coming shit going on, you need to be supporting the people that are the Liberty people. You know, it's kind of like I've talked, uh, I think in my last episode, episode 100, talking about how like Malcolm X was talking about how breaking off economically and supporting your own group. I mean, he was using the aspect of like, you know, colored folks and non-colored folks, but you know, I mean, it applies here as well. You know, if we're going to make it through in the coming collapse, we need to support each other. So yep. definitely watch this ad. Definitely consider using it. Don't use Clint's uh, fucking uh, promo code. Use mine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, Clint. It was fun. Absolutely, so, man. All right, we'll see you. If you love playing fancy football but struggle to find the right resource to help with your research, the guys at Football Insider Edge have you covered. Whether you are a season-long player, focused on DraftKings or FanDuel contests, or just like to make the occasional wager each week, on a couple of games, Football Insider Edge provides you with the research tools and in-depth analysis to take your game to the next level. With their proprietary model, matchup charts, and industry award-winning content, the team at Football Insider Edge have devoted themselves to educating their subscribers, helping them improve their play, and a few special moments winning life-changing money. They are proud of the community they've built through weekly interaction on their Slack chat channel and take great pride in helping others to achieve their goals of becoming better fantasy players. As supporters of the show and of the Liberty Movement as a whole, they are currently offering a 20% discount on any monthly or full season plan on their website. Just go to footballinsideredge.com and use the code JOSE at checkout to take advantage of the discount offer today. So if you guys are fantasy football people, go check this out. It's a win-win-win. I win, you win, they win. There's no loss here. It's fucking capitalism, baby. Let's do it.